Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. By Matt Carpenter, on March 6th, Lord's Day Service. text this morning is Leviticus chapter 17 and chapter 18. We'll begin by reading verses 1 through 12 of Leviticus 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron, to his sons, and all the children of Israel, and say to them, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp or who kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people to the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices which they offer in the open field that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priest and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. Also you shall say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel or the strangers who dwell among you who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. And whatever man of the house of Israel or the strangers who dwell among you who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will, and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore I say to the children of Israel, No one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Chapter 18, beginning in verse 4. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. Skipping down to verse 20. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled. Therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it. And the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall keep, therefore, my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of you of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. Let us pray. 
Our Father, we thank you for your holy word. revealed to us in perfection. May we receive it and grow and be edified and convicted. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. These two chapters seem to bear little in common to one another. Chapter 17 deals with instructions about holy things, about not sacrificing an animal outside of the prescribed area, which is next to the tabernacle, and also protecting the blood of that animal. Chapter 18 prescribes what is and is not allowed when it comes to sexual relationships and marriage. These instructions are put together, though, for a reason. Both worship and sex represents two of the strongest desires God has given us. The desire to know God and to be known by another. They, when fulfilled in submission to God, strengthen us and overflow further with life. both in God's house and in our homes. To seize these gifts and use them apart from God's natural order pollutes the land, which is not something we think of. We think of physical pollution. We hear plenty of talk about physical pollution, but the greater danger of pollution is not the physical that we can see, but it is the perverse pollution that comes. And yes, there is a tie between the two. Any society that will commit perversion in this way will inevitably pollute the nation, pollute the land physically also. So when we seize God's gifts, not only do we pollute the land, but we also risk being cut off from God's life. Being the people of God means that we ourselves, we enjoy His life. So to be His people, we are called to discipline ourselves, to discipline our desires, as we heard in the exhortation this morning, to discipline our desires in conformity to His plan. We are called to walk in holiness, and that's what Leviticus, starting in chapter 17 and going through the rest of the book, these commands are about what it means to walk in holiness. We're all accustomed to seeing commands, to hearing commands, and we think that, you know, especially these law books, you get into some of the, the portions of Exodus and Leviticus, it, it just deals with minute commands what you can do, what you can't do, mostly what you can't do. So when we think of God's law, we think of a whole lot of rules. Kind of like the comic several years ago from the far side that, that has a teacher who looks like she's about 118 years old and she's writing uh, she, and she has a list of rules on the blackboard and the whole blackboard is filled and then she has rule number 127 and then she, she just keeps on going. So that's what we think of sometimes when we think of God's law. We think it's only a set of commands of what we cannot do. I don't want to spend a lot of time this morning explaining what the commands are. 
frankly, I'm not worried about most of us committing some, most of the things that they're talking about in this. But knowing God's commands is one thing. Just like when you're a child and your parent says you cannot do this and you should do that. We hear that, but what, what question comes up often when, we, when we're told, no, you can't? We ask, why? There's a reason why. God's Word teaches us the reason why. But we have to go beyond just the, the, the mere point of don't do this thing. If you press, if you meditate on the law, it will become clear. And that's what I want us to see today. I hope that we can leave here understanding that God's standards are given so that we can train to walk in life, not just run from death. The language of chapter 17 says you must bring an, all animals killed to the tabernacle. Now some have interpreted this, uh, the, some of those who would be on the vegetarian side, have interpreted this as a requirement to not hunt. That's not what it's talking about. The reference to killing here, killing an animal, is the act of killing one for sacrifice as well as the command to not eat or drink the blood. See, it's common in, for ancient pagans to kill animals and sacrifice those animals on their own. So, so if you have, you have your little piece of land and you know that there's these, these evil beings, these demonic beings who, who want to occupy that land, and in order to appease them, to keep them from harming you, you kill an animal. Not only do you have your... your temple sacrifice, but you also would have your private sacrifice that you have to offer for your home to make sure no evil thing is going to come touch you. So you have your, your main worship, then you have your on-the-side worship. You know, you're, you're on the sly, just making sure you keep all the demons happy. That's why he says in 17 verse 7, you no more shall you offer sacrifices to demons among whom you've played the harlot. He tells him, stay away from those things. And remember, that's that word there. I won't go into to this again, but that word's actually referring to satyrs that we've heard about before in mythology. So he says, we can't do that. Men were tempted, again, for, to, to, do, to do this for protection. But the only one that God's people could, could appeal to, the one to whom they could appeal for protection was God, was Yahweh and Him alone. He, he commands all offerings to be brought to the tabernacle. So you can't kill one and offer it separately. You have to bring it to the tabernacle and you offer it here, just as they talked about in the first several chapters of Leviticus. But blood was also important in ancient religious rituals because the, understand, the understanding was if you drink the blood of a being, you will receive its strength. You will receive its power. You will potentially receive healing from doing that. So do, do, you, want, do you want that? Well, then you need to, to kill that thing and, and take its blood. 
God himself says that there is life in the blood. Leviticus 17, verse 11. Many wonderful sermons have been preached just on that verse. Blood is more important than any other liquid in our body. We know this from a scientific perspective, but this is not a lesson first and foremost in biology. This is an explanation that this gift, the gift of life, the gift of even the liquids in our bodies, beginning with blood, belongs to God. It is a gift from Him. He created it, and only He can receive it. This most special gift of God was reserved to Him. To take an animal's blood, whether for drinking or for sacrifice on your, on your own, for you to do this separately, is to claim that you can pursue life, you can pursue your own protection and strength apart from the Almighty. It's an act of individualism. It's saying, I don't need you, God, I've got this is trusting in yourself. The penalty, as we see, is to be, quote, cut off. Now this penalty can range from the death penalty in some cases, all the way to banishment from God's people. There's an interesting story in the book of Numbers about a man who is gathering sticks on the Sabbath. And he was caught doing this, and they bring the matter. Moses said, I must bring this matter to God. He brings it to God, and God says, the man should be killed. And he was. Now, some people think, oh my goodness, they were really serious about these Sabbath laws. And yes, they were, but he was not stoned because he was picking up sticks on the Sabbath. It does get cold. Sometimes you do need a fire. That's not wrong. Here's the problem. Somebody who's gathering sticks on the Sabbath is doing so. The reference there is almost certainly to this man building his own sacrificial fire separately from the one fire that was in the tabernacle. He was worshiping another God, not Yahweh. That's why he was killed. So he's very serious about this. The idea of being cut off, though, goes beyond physical removal, banishment in some cases from God's people. It, it's similar to what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, for the man who's about to be disciplined by the church, that he should be turned over to Satan. As in, this person is removed from the protection of God's house and God's people. He is separated from there and he is no longer under the authority of the Almighty and now is cast out. Even there though, with the hope that in time he would return. When one is cut off, it's not just a prescribed physical penalty. It can even mean that your posterity will have no effect in the kingdom. Holiness demands 
that we worship God through the one sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Man cannot come to God any way he chooses or through any path he chooses because there's only one path that leads to eternal life. Anyone who claims to worship the triune God apart from Christ has cut himself off from the faith and from life itself. But when we do come to God through the blood of Christ, not only do we receive life, but He prepares us that we may in turn give life to others. This is never about only receiving. We have received, and we've received abundantly, but we receive in order that we may give. Chapter 18 seems fairly straightforward. He says, don't marry immediate family, parents, siblings, aunts, uncles, and abstain from sexual perversion. But why did he give these commands? I mean, granted, especially for the first one, there is a definite ick factor, right? There is an ick factor for incestuous relationships that prevents this sin from appealing to people. Even, it, 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 even for those who are outside the faith, there is this strong ick factor. That's a gift. That's a gift from God. No one, no ancient Greek citizen would hear the story of Oedipus and say, man, I can really empathize with him. I understand where he's coming from. No. Paul says that about the relationship in 1 Corinthians, that's not even named among the Gentiles. What's wrong with you? Now, you can read chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, where, where Moses taught, or God through Moses says, you shall not do these things like they, they, like they do in the land of Canaan. But remember, this is, this is a, a whole. This is chapter 17 goes right into chapter 18. They didn't have chapters in the original. So that reference to not doing what the people of Canaan were doing is more for the, the acts and the sacrifices referred to in 17. No, in, in 18, those, that first list of perverse relationships are given. And those restrictions, though, exist within the family, not marrying within your family. They are natural to us. We understand them. Because practicing these sins leads to deformity. Not only of the offspring, but deformity of our souls. Then you have other sins that are sins of perversity condemned in stronger language. Homosexuality, bestiality, and offering children to Moloch worship. And there are other sins as well. Adultery is mentioned here. But, but he says specifically that these sins are a perversion. And they're called that because they reverse God's natural order turning his holy gift that is intimacy which leads to procreation he turns is turning that gift into a sterile act of self-satisfaction 
He is not just saying, God is not just saying, don't be perverse because it's gross. He is saying, this is my gift that can only be used as I decree. All of these acts are empty and yield either no offspring or yield illegitimate offspring. And this goes back to the first command, the command in Genesis 1 to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. There is a prescribed way that this is to be done and it is within the bonds of marriage with a husband and wife coming together, the two becoming one, and you have children. There is life. It is the, the beautiful gift of two people who love one another and when they love one another, that love does not stay self-contained. It yields greater life. We see the culmination here of these sins in the command to not sacrifice your children to Molech, which literally results in the termination of your progeny, of those who would come after you. So all of these, these sins are connected, and you may say, I, I, I don't understand. Why is especially offering your children Sacrificing your children to this foreign God. And, and yes, when you would sacrifice your children, you would put them in a fire and they would die. Again, to appease a, the, the God, Molech. Why would they do that? Because they believed that you had to you know, try to keep all the gods happy. But the sins are connected because they all lead to death. It all leads to that. Now we know the commands. We've heard them already, but what is the purpose for these? Leviticus 17 and 18 show us that our bodies belong to the Lord. Life, whether in the life of the blood or the life in procreation, it is all the Lord's. Our standards, whether it is the pursuit of God in worship or our sexual actions, the standards for what is right and wrong are not limited to what I feel like is okay and not. It's not what I think is disgusting and therefore this is, my, this is the law. That's no basis for standards. If all you have is what you think is right and what you, or what you feel like is right or wrong, then somebody else can come along and say, I don't think that that's wrong. And it doesn't feel like that to me. No, our standards are rooted in God's natural order. The order that is revealed in His world and codified in his word. Even here, the requirements are not just don't do this, don't do that. The commands for holiness teach us how to walk in life. Chapter 18, Leviticus 18, verse 5 says, 
You shall, there, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And a, and a, a more literal translation is, he shall live in them. It's not just you have to do these in order to stay away from all, you know, from the local police. No. This is God saying, this is the way of life. This is what it looks like to live, to, to enjoy what God has provided. But as with all of Leviticus, we see the deep connections to this also in the writings in the New Testament. Especially 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 13 through 21. Paul talks about this. He says, foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy them both. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For, quote, the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit, is, excuse me, is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does outside the body, every man that, sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So Paul says that our bodies are, quote, for the Lord, not sexual sin or the sin of fornication. And he goes on in, this pas in that passage, as we just read it, to connect our bodies to the temple, the place where Yahweh dwells. The tabernacle, you see, in the Old Covenant, it's only a picture of what our bodies would eventually be. The tabernacle was a place where God's Spirit dwelt in the Old Covenant, but now, after the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, we all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we all belong to him. It's not just keep the tabernacle separate. Now it's you keep yourself. It's always been from the very creation the intent to unite the people of God into being the temple, not just coming into the temple. We are the furniture of the temple. We are set apart by him. Now... Worship and physical intimacy are connected in a way that most of us have not very much, we don't think about this. Ancients did. They did all the time. If you were to go to a temple, to, to a pagan temple in the times of the Apostle Paul, you would see all kinds of perversion going on there because they closely associated worship and sexual practice. To the point it would go on in the temple, in pagan temples. 
It's so amazing that Paul doesn't say, yeah, they're all stupid. There's no connection there at all. He doesn't say that. Paul corrects the view. He says, that's right, but your body is the temple. Therefore, you cannot go into a prostitute. So Paul doesn't separate the two. He helps people to understand how they are connected. He talks about this also in Ephesians chapter 4. And what I hope that you can see is the echoes of Leviticus 17 and 18 are found in the New Testament. And this is just a couple of places. We won't even look at all of them. But in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, think of how when I read this, think of the similarities between these words and the words of God in Leviticus. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness in their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. He said, You've not, you are called to be separate from the Gentiles, just like Israel of old was called to be separate from the surrounding nations. But the call to holiness looks the same. The standards are unchanged. Not only is he the same God then as he is now, but the standards of right and wrong have not changed. Worship and physical intimacy were created to give life. It's not just created to give you life, but it's created to give life to future generations. And of course we can see that with the physical part, but we say, what about worship? Well, tell me, are your children different because they worship the living God in this place every week? I believe so. They're receiving things, the likes of which we don't even yet understand. We have no idea what the eternal ramifications are for our offspring by bringing them up in the covenant in the place where the life of God dwells. But you can take it by faith that the Lord is here and He is working not only in you, but in them. When you are giving yourself to them, when you're training them, when you're guiding them, you are helping them to grow as God's dwelling place. You are building the temple and you're parenting every day of your life and bringing your children to church. You are training your children for the life of God. You have no idea how many generations this will affect. Yahweh, though, connects sexual perversion with sacrificing our children, with giving them up, because both seize God's gift, either the children themselves or potential children, and destroy them. The consequence of being cut off 
is actually God Himself giving that person what he or she was pursuing from the beginning. The consequences are not random. As C.S. Lewis said, heaven is when man can say to God, thy will be done. And hell is when God says to man, thy will be done. This is what it looks like. To be cut off is to receive what the natural man pursues. Every time you worship God, coming through the blood of Christ, you receive His life. Every time you enjoy physical intimacy in the bonds of marriage, you are enjoying a nourishing gift as well as potentially bringing more life into the world. This is what it should look like. These instructions for holiness are not given to prevent delight in God's gift, but to train us in how to receive God's gifts. Walking in these commands gives us life and gives us the privilege of sharing the life of God with others. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.